Pastor Chris is teaching this morning. All right. <laughs> Go, Mr. Chris. Um, well, some of you probably came this morning expecting to hear verse-by-verse um, verse exposition of James. That's what we've been going through. But uh, every so often I have to preach the sermon. And uh, I have to. <laughs> I need to. Uh, particularly this time of year. It's been 18 months since I preached this sermon. I looked. Some of you have heard this sermon. You've heard me preach this sermon. But unless you're super spiritual, which some of you may be, maybe far more spiritual than me, uh, you probably need it too. I love John chapter 6. I absolutely love John chapter 6. So I ask you to bear with me if you've heard me preach this before. Maybe the Lord will impart something new to both you and me. A couple of years ago, uh, Bruce Wilkinson wrote a book that became very popular, The Prayer of Jabez. How many of you have heard of this book or, okay, read this book? I uh, never forgot an illustration that he uh, had in the book. Uh, Bruce and Darlene took their young son, Bruce Jr., to a park, and it was a one of those parks, Bruce Sr. said, you know, it just makes you want to be a kid again. It had everything. And uh, in the middle of the park, there were three slides. A small one, a medium-sized one, and this ginormous slide. Now, that, that means it's big, really big. Ginormous slide. So, you know what Bruce Jr. did, right? Went over there and went down that small slide. Boom, no problem. Then he started looking at that medium slide. He wanted to go down that medium slide, right? So he starts looking at that, that medium slide. And he, he, he gets about halfway up the, the ladder. He decides this is too big for him, so he goes back down. And he stands over to the side, and he watches the other children just, you know, rotating on that slide. And finally he says, I can do this. So he goes and he climbs up the ladder, boom, down the slide, and he does it over and over and over again. Well, you know what he wants to do next, right? He wants to get on that ginormous slide. He wants to get on that big slide. And he's watching the other kids, the bigger kids going down. And, you know, he's five years old, okay? But he's watching these other kids... Uh, climb up that ladder and go down, and climb up that ladder and go down. And so he, you know, he gets his courage up, and he goes, he gets up that ladder, he gets a third of the way up, and he freezes. You know what he says? He says, Daddy, would you come slide with me? And of course, Bruce Sr. has been watching this from afar, right? And as soon as his son cried out to him, Bruce Sr. runs to him, and he goes up that ladder, and he scoops up his son, and they, they get to the top of the, of the uh, slide, and... And boom, they go down. Okay? Bruce Jr. reminds me of somebody. Does he remind you of anybody? <laughs> Tim knows. <laughs> uh, he reminds me of me. And uh, for those of you who are sitting out there and you're born again and you really walk with God, you understand about being on a slide that's too big. And you understand about crying out to your father, Daddy, this is too big for me. I need your help. And that's what I want to talk about. That's what I want to talk about this morning as we look at John chapter 6. I vividly remember when the Lord called Karen and I to come here to Milan to replant a church that was dead. I can still remember in my naivete thinking, Man, why aren't there like five or six really strong, dynamic, healthy, international churches in Milan? It's a huge place. 
They say there are 150 to 200,000 um, expats in the city. Okay? It's a huge place. And uh, I was always marveled at that. And also when we got here, we, we have a loose association with a, uh, an international convention. And I get their prayer letter and I notice that every month there are about 6 to 10 pulpits empty in major international cities in Europe. And I think to myself, well, why aren't there 150 guys lined up for each one of those pulpits? Why have they been empty? Some of them have been empty since I've been here. Some of them have been empty for five years. Well, I've been here for five years now. And I know. <laughs> I know why those pulpits are empty. I have personal experience. And I know why there are not five or six uh, vibrant international churches in Milan. As one pastor said, pastoring an international church, it's like pastoring a parade. You guys with me? You know, if you watch a parade, you stand there, you stand still and everybody just keeps going by. And that's what it's like when you're the pastor of an international church. It's like pastoring uh, a parade. And I told Adam this week that I have parade fatigue. I have parade, par parade fatigue, particularly this time of year when people start packing up and leaving. I have parade fatigue. So really, it's your fault that I'm preaching this sermon. <laughs> because you come here, Karen and I fall in love with you, and then you leave. And uh, there's a huge emotional toll that I don't know that anyone else could really fully appreciate except for a pastor and his wife who actually do this kind of work. And you, you've come here as a student, so you've come here for work, you've come here following your career, you're doing what God has led you to do. And when you leave, you're following God's leaving. So I'm not blaming you too much. I'm not <laughs> blaming you, but it does break our hearts. Many of you, you, you come to Milan and you look us up and... And uh, you, you, you roll up your sleeves and you go to work in this church and you, you uh, pray in this church, you give to this church and you are helping to establish this church for the long run. Those of you who come in and roll up your sleeves and sacrificially support the church. Some uh, that have come through are actually still supporting this work. And I have to say to you, friends, that's very important. It's very important that that happens. Not very many, but some. Not very many, but some. And it's necessary. You know why it's necessary? Because we, our, our, our congregation turns over uh, a quarter to a third every year. A quarter to a third every year are gone. And so that's an important thing that some who have come through here and met God face to face and have been changed by His goodness and grace continue to support this work that he has established here. ICM exists today because someone just like you rolled up their sleeves and went to work. Someone just like you decided to pray for this church. Someone just like you decided to serve this church. Someone just like you decided, yes, I'm going to give financially to the International Church of Milan. Not only that it may make it to the end of the month, but that it might be here for the long term. Friends, when you're turning over a third of your congregation every year, man, I need John chapter 6. 
I need John chapter 6. And every wave of expats that come through this church must do their part. They must do their part. I've told the, the congregation several times, ICM will never cease to exist because of God's unfaithfulness. But we could cease to exist because of our unfaithfulness. Our unwillingness to roll up our sleeves and go to work in obedience in this church. So, my big slide, like Bruce Jr., my big slide is that a third of you leave every year. And within a few years, all of you will be gone. This is our big slide. (laughs) And I say, Daddy, (laughs) I can't do this. Karen and I say, we can't do this without you, Lord. This is too hard. It's just too hard. And so that's our big slide. It's not that we live in a foreign culture. It's not that uh, we're away from our friends and family and our children and grandchildren. It's not that this work is always a a challenge in many, many different ways. It's not because of the diversity. I actually love that diversity. I think it would be hard for me to ever go back to the U.S. because I would miss the diversity. I would miss it very much. It's not that we're in a spiritually dark place in Italy. It's none of those things. It's that you leave. It's that you come and you go. So every time about this year, every year about this time, I'm looking up that big ladder again and I'm saying, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. Daddy, help me. The slide's too big for me. It's too hard. It hurts too much. It hurts too much. So, when I feel like this, I have to preach John chapter 6. And my father knows that we need his help. And so we go to John chapter 6. Because Jesus makes a great point here. You can't do this without me. You can't do anything without me. So let's look at the text together. John chapter 6. Jesus is our resource always. Jesus is our supply always. Jesus is our provision always. Oh, Jesus is our miracle always. And Christian uh, Christian Free and Karen and I, it's not just us that, that are called to live that and believe that. You're called to live that and believe that too. You're called to live that and believe that. To. This, this uh, great miracle, it's in all four Gospels. I think God wants us to get this. I think He wants us to understand about the message He's, he's, he's giving to us. Yes, Jesus is the bread of life. This is the preeminent message here. Jesus is the bread of life. But there's much more here for us to take away. So Jesus will feed ten to 15,000 people um, today with five biscuits and two fish as we look at this text. And, uh, I know that the, the Bible says 5,000 men, but there's no question. Scholars agree there's no question that there are, men and there, there, are, there are women and children here, probably at least between eight, possibly up to 15,000 people are here. And I think one thing, let me just say at the outset, one thing that this miracle uh, proclaims is that Jesus is the Creator God. He uh, creates out of nothing. You guys know the Latin, right? Ex nihilo. He creates out of nothing. He doesn't have to have uh, working materials. He just speaks 
forth and a thousand galaxies, a billion galaxies stand forth. And he, we're seeing the Creator God at work here. He's providing uh, barley loaves from barley that never grew and He's providing fish uh, for this crowd that never swam. Uh, the Creator God is on display here. Jesus is I Am and He is creating provision where there was none. You heard Tim read the text. Let me pick up here. Um, you saw that uh, they, they are, uh, there's a great multitude. Let me just interject. We learn from the other Gospels that uh, uh, Jesus has just heard that John the Baptist has been beheaded. Uh, the, the disciples have just come back from their first preaching tour. And we also learn from the other Gospels that, that uh, Jesus just wants to get away. Right? He just wants to get away with his men so they can rest. But the text says... Uh, verse 2, that a great multitude, a great multitude was following him. And the Matthew account tells us what? Does anybody remember? Despite the fact that most of these people will reject him the very next day, despite the fact that his disciples are urging him to send them away, despite the fact that he and his men are bone tired, despite all of that, Jesus, what? He has compassion. <laughs> Isn't that just like him? He has compassion for the multitude. And he looks to uh, Philip there in verse 5 of John chapter 6, 6. And Jesus, therefore lifting up his eyes and seeing a great multitude was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are... Somebody tell me what the next word is. We! This is why I have to preach John chapter 6. Where are we to buy bread that these may eat. Did you notice that Jesus asked him one question and Philip answered a different question? Did you notice that from the text? Jesus said, where are we going to get the bread? What does Philip say? It's going to cost way too much. That's not what God said. God didn't say how much is it going to cost. God said, where are we going to get it? What I want to say to you, that's just like me when I sit behind my desk uh, at home and I crunch the numbers on the International Church of Milan. I'm not supposed to be crunching the numbers and be, be fixated on the numbers. What does Jesus want Philip to do here? Look at him. Look at him, right? Isn't that just like us? God asks one question. And Philip answers a different one. He's busy calculating and analyzing and assessing. Jesus asked this question about the bread for a reason. Why? Because he's the bread. And that's the answer he expects from every one of his people. You're the bread, Lord God. You're my provision, Lord God. You're my supply, Lord God. You're my miracle, Lord God. You're my assurance, Lord God. That's always the answer. That's never not the answer for a Christian. Look at verse 6. And this, he was saying to what? What, was, what does he say? This was what for Philip? It was a test. It was a test. He was testing him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. It was a test. And guess what, brothers and sisters? Most of you already know this. If you don't know this, you'll know this soon. If you're a Christian, God will always test your faith. Guess what? He's always going to bring you to the big slide. He's never not going to bring you to the big slide. He's going to bring you to the big slide. Where all you can do, the only recourse you have is to cry out, Daddy, this is too big for me. I can't do this without you. God will always bring His people to the big slide. That test of trust. 
as John MacArthur calls them. He tested Abraham's faith. Go read the text. He tested Abraham's faith to the extreme. Go sacrifice your son. Abraham believed and obeyed, and God provided the ram in the bush. Amen? <laughs> this is why I have to preach John chapter 6. I have to believe, Karen, I have to believe there's going to be a ram in the bush next year. And we have to believe there's going to be a ram in the bush the following year. And then we have to believe there's going to be another ram in the bush the next year. <laughs> and so, you know, there's something beautiful about this ministry is because I always have to cry out to God. If I trusted in you, I would be gone. If I just simply trusted in, oh, hey, we had 80 people today. If I trusted in that, I wouldn't last very long here. Because last week we had 10 in Milano Trey. We've never had 10 in Milano Trey since like 2005, but it was a holiday as most of you know. Man, if my security is in the congregation, I can't work here. I can't do this. It has to be in God Himself. You remember Moses, <laughs> he had a test of trust. God called him to bring 2 million people out of Egypt. Moses acted, he obeyed and he acted and God delivered on His promise. You remember one of my fav favorite stories in the Bible, Gideon. God uh, asked Gideon to, to, to march down to the enemy camp outnumbered 450 to 1 and expect God to just show up and do a miracle. Guess what? God routed the enemy. Gideon believed and he acted. I was just reading a text this week about Jehoshaphat. You may remember it. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you've never read it, you need to go read it this week. But Jehoshaphat cried out to God. He said, we're hopelessly outnumbered before this horde. And God says, you remember what God says? <laughs> it's not your fight, it's mine. He goes, you just gather up the people and you go out and you face the enemy and you sing my praises and you watch what happens. <laughs> you remember what happens? <laughs> God routed them. Oh, you remember what happened? Uh, the people took great spoil. So God turns a trial into a blessing. Friends, that's the way you're supposed to live. That's supposed to be your mindset as a Christian. When the trial comes, as we've been talking about in James chapter 1, when the trial comes, your anticipation is that God's going to deliver. And He's going to turn the trial into blessing. <laughs> that's how Christians are supposed to live. Let me ask you, are you living like that? Do you expect God to show up? Are you willing to step out in faith like Abraham and Moses and Gideon and Jehoshaphat? Are you willing to, to do that because you know God will show up? I can live a huge faith before unbelieving uh, men in a fallen world because my God shows up. Friends, we're supposed to live like that. We're supposed to live like that every single day. If you're a Christian, God will test your faith to see if it is genuine Another quote from John MacArthur, he says, too often we assign our own feebleness to God. You understand? In effect, what he's saying is, too many of us are still looking in the mirror for our assurance. You know, God calls us to do a thing, what's the first thing we do? Oh, I, I have these skills and these abilities and these resources. And I don't have these skills, these abilities and these resources. And so we've already limited what God can do with us. But God says, hey, don't look at the circumstance. God says what? What does Jesus want Philip to do? Look at Him. I don't want to know how much it's going to cost. Jesus says. 
I want to know how we're going to do it. We. How are we going to do it? See, you're caught up in this, Christian. <laughs> how are we going to establish the International Church of Milan? Until Jesus comes back, how can a group of internationals do that? How can a group of internationals be instrumental in planting an Italian church? How can we do that? Jesus says. How are we going to do that? Boy, I need to preach John chapter 6. <laughs> this time of year, it may become an annual event. Because Jesus equals the unbelievable, the inexplicable, and the miraculous. He just always does. And He will always lead you, Christian friend, to the big slide. Because where God wants you to be is always living in that place where you cannot do it by yourself. You cannot get up, roll out of bed, and just live on automatic. You need God. You need to be on your knees. And you need to be crying out to Him. And if you don't need that, then I need to ask you, Christian friend, are you really living your faith? Are you really taking chances with God? Are you taking risks with God? Are you pouring yourself out? Are you pouring yourself out for these few moments we have left on the planet? Bruce Jr. cries out to his dad. <laughs> his dad runs and he scoops him up and, and they go up to the top and as I said, he, he, Bruce Sr. puts Bruce Jr. between his legs and they, they go down that big slide. And this is one of my favorite parts of the story. Laughing all the way. Friends, this, this is a, a, a truth. And I know many of you could give testimony. I can certainly give testimony. When you believe God and He shows up, it's awesome. It's awesome. And you are laughing all the way down. That slide. <laughs> Whatever your big slide is. Believe God. Trust God. Act on His promises. And your Father will come, scoop you up. You'll go up that big ladder and down that big slide, laughing all the way. I want, you to, I want you to watch Philip and Andrew and the others as we go through this text. Jesus is going to do more than fill their stomachs today. He's going to put them on a joy ride. And friends, that's what He's doing. We, we saw it in John chapter 11. God is always doing two things. He's glorifying Himself. And He's uh, bringing His joy to His people. And, and the joy comes as we give ourselves over to Him. And as we walk in faith. Genuine faith. Risk-taking faith. Being poured out faith. It's always exhilarating. It, it's never not exhilarating. It always is. Can you imagine Abraham's joy when the angel stopped him and he saw the, the ram in the bush? Can you imagine Moses' joy as he led two million people out of Egypt? The impossible had taken place. Can, can you imagine Gideon's joy? Marching down there, outnumbered 450 to 1, and boom, God routs the enemy. Can you imagine Jehoshaphat's joy standing there defenseless with his people, just singing the praises of God and watching God destroy this horde of invaders? Can you imagine their joy? This is... This is what part of our life as a Christian is supposed to be. We're supposed to be living our faith big and, and being filled with joy as we see God show up doing things that are too big for us. To th uh, things that are too big for us. And I, I want to remind you 
uh, it doesn't mean that we don't cry. It doesn't mean that we don't hurt because we do. Christians are not immune to that. And Karen and I can give testimony because some of you, when you leave, we will cry. But there's a beautiful thing that Twyla Paris, there's a beautiful song she sings. It's called, Do I Trust You, Lord? Some of you probably know this song. And there's a line in that song that I've never forgotten and I love it. She says, uh, I will believe you even when I must cry. Let me ask you, Christian, do you still believe him? <laughs> when it's hard and you can't cry anymore, do you still believe him? Will you still act on his promises? When the adversary is shouting in your ear that God is not there and he doesn't care about you, will you still believe him? Will you still act? Will you still persevere? Even when you must cry. Let's go back to Philip. What does he say? He says, hey, eight months wages is not enough to feed uh, everyone even with a little. Look at what Andrew does in verse 8. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, hey, there's a little kid here who's got five loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? What are these for so many people? So Philip's done the math. It's going to take eight months wages uh, to feed this crowd. And Andrew's found a little boy who's got uh, five biscuits, effectively, and two fish. But he says, what are these for so many? Philip looks at the situation from one vantage point and he says, this is impossible. It's going to take too much. Andrew looks at it from a, a, another vantage point and he says, this is impossible. We have too little. <laughs> I feel like that all the time. <laughs> Some of you do too, in your life maybe. But Jesus is teaching His men. And Jesus is teaching you and I that He is our supply. He is our miracle. We're not supposed to be looking in the mirror if we're going to walk as real Christians. Now, if we're just religious people, if we're just church members, and, and you know, it's just all our, the sum and substance of our, our Christianity is we show up for church once a week, I mean, and maybe read our Bibles once in a while. I mean, if that's all it is, you know, it's not that hard. A human being can do that. But if we're going to walk with God, if we're going to walk with Him, and if, you know, put ourselves out there to the point where if God doesn't show up, it's a train wreck. This is what God's people do over and over and over on the pages of Scripture. So what are they doing wrong? Philip and Andrew, they're not looking at their provision. They're not looking at God. Let me ask you, Christian friend, are you still stuck on the small slide? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you in here are still stuck on the small slide? And your Christianity amounts to coming to church on Sunday. That's the small slide, guys. God wants us to be on the enormous slide. But we can't do it. We can't do it without Him showing up. We can't do it without Him. And guess what? You know what? You're not built for the small slide. If you're born again, if you're born from above, if you've been begotten of God, you are not built for the small slide. You're built for the big slide. You're built for big faith. You're built for Hebrews 11 faith. That's what you're built for. And when you're not living it, you know it as a Christian. When you're shrinking back, you know it. When you're playing it safe, you know it. You just know it. You feel it. You know you're not looking to God. You know you're not living the miracle. You just know it. You can feel it. And you succumb to, to, uh, 
to that, uh, the thinking of the world and, and the, to, to conformity of the world and, and you're ordering your life around and your, your hopes and your futures around the way the world thinks. And sometimes God's going to come to you and just turn that upside down. He says, don't trust in the way the world thinks. You trust in me. Even if it's impossible. That's what God expects from His children. Philip says it's impossible. It will take too much wrong. Jesus Christ is God. How many of you live like Jesus Christ is God? Fearless and bold. And big and large and deep and wide. Andrew says it's impossible we have too little wrong. Jesus Christ is God. And He can take the smallest thing. <laughs> like the International Church of Milan. This pathetic little operation in the eyes of the world. He can take this little bitty operation and He can do an awesome thing if we believe and obey and act. He can do an awesome thing. He can do an awesome thing. And you've got to love this kid, right? This kid. <laughs> it's a joke. He's got five biscuits and two fish. <laughs> it's a joke. But what does he do with it? He gives it to God. Let me ask you, what are you doing with your five biscuits and your two fish? What are you doing with it? Are you uh, holding it close and keeping it, you know, a tight grip on it just for yourself? Are you, really, are you willing to give it to God to do a big thing? <laughs> Man, I, I want to give it to God to do a big thing. And I'm going to exhort you to do the same. You've got to love this little kid. So he gives it all to God. And God does an awesome thing. And God always works this way. God always takes these, these, these humble little gifts and he, and he turns them into something huge. Because every gift given in faith, He uses it. Now, if it's just given uh, out of uh, religious obligation or some perfunctory thing, well, I should give because I should give, this doesn't honor the Lord. But we give because we love Him and we believe He'll turn this... He'll turn this gift into something beautiful, something awesome, something that glorifies Himself in this place. Good verse 10. I love this verse. Adam actually quoted this verse to me. We were talking about some of these things. He had the misfortune of being with me a couple of times this week. And so we were, uh, he always has this misfortune. But uh, uh, we were talking about some of these things and we were talking about this very text. And I didn't even have to say it. Adam said it. Jesus says, how the people say? <laughs> don't you love it in your life when you hear Jesus say that it's like I'm thinking what are the disciples thinking right now when he says have the people sit down I'm thinking they're thinking about the water and the wine maybe some of them are thinking about the water and the wine I'm thinking they're thinking what were we thinking of course he's the answer of course he's the answer of course he's going to do something awesome of course he is Friends, expect God to be real in your life and to show up and to keep His promises. Of course He's going to do something awesome. I think Andrew and Philip, I, bet, I guarantee they looked at each other and go, man, we messed that one up. <laughs> we got that one wrong. Jesus says, have the people sit down. Philip has said... Uh, he looked at the crowd and said it was impossible. Andrew looked at the loaves and said, it's impossible. Jesus took five biscuits, 
and two fish, and he fed ten to 15,000 people. Look at verses 11 through 13. I want you to get this too. <laughs> Jesus therefore took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to them to the, the, those who were seated. Likewise also the fish. What? What does the text say? As much as they wanted. Verse 12. And when oh, they were filled... He said to His disciples, gather up, oh, the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Verse 13. And so they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments uh, from the five barley loaves uh, which were left over by those who had eaten. I want to make just a couple points here. One is, did you notice that the disciples' faith was weak, but did you notice that, that Jesus did the miracle through them? This is what I'm saying to you. God did the miracle through them. And if God's going to establish the International Church of Milan until Jesus comes back, you know, that's the, that's the audacious claim we make. We're here till Jesus comes back. We don't make that because we trust in ourselves. We make it because we trust in the Word of God. And we trust in the faithfulness of God. But if that's going to happen, He's going to do it through you. He's going to do it through you. We can't wait around for somebody else to do it. He's going to do it through you if this church is going to survive long term. He's going to do it through you. And God, Jesus fed the multitude through His men as they distributed, as they distributed the provision. <clears throat> oh, they were all filled. They ate as much as they wanted. There were 12 baskets of leftovers. How, how come you think there were 12 baskets of leftovers? Can anybody speculate? I guess it was a coincidence that there were just 12, there were 12 baskets left over. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, there were 12 disciples. Guess what, he want, guess what Jesus wanted them to do? He wanted every one of them to pick up a basket and have to walk away with it. So they'll never forget He's God. And He does whatever He pleases. And He takes care of His people. And He can be trusted. He can be trusted. He doesn't want His men to ever forget that He is always the answer to the impossible. And He doesn't want you to ever forget it. And this time of year, He doesn't want me to ever forget it. That Jesus is the answer to the, the impossible. And again, every, time, every, every year about this time, I, I struggle because I watched the church turn over again. And it seems too hard, you know. And and then, and then this year we're, we're thinking about a building. <laughs> we're thinking about 1,800 euros a month, which now is not in the budget, right? Which, oh, how, much is, how many dollars is that? Nobody knows. <laughs> By the time you sign the lease, it could be $1.6. Friends, what I'm saying is, We need John chapter 6. We need to remember that Jesus is God and He can do the impossible. So, this time of year, I have to look God face to face and Jesus faithfully looks to me and He says, Jim, how are we going to do this? How are we going to build this international church? Jim, where are you going to get the emotional, you and Karen, where are you going to get the emotional stamina 
to continue to do this year after year after year. Jim, how are we ever going to lease and remodel that warehouse? I say, you know, you know, Lord. <laughs> Was it Ezekiel that said that? You know, Lord. You know. You know. And so this is my perennial test of trust every year when a quarter to a third of you guys walk out the door and never come back. It's our big slide. Do you know what? I, 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 part, of, part of me likes it because I can't ever trust in anything. You know, there's really not much security in this operation. The only security in this operation is that God is here. That's the only security in this operation. So it, 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 it makes Karen and I always look to God, always. We never can cheat and look at something else. We have to look at God. And we just simply go home where it's easy and where it's manageable and where you can understand it and where you work five years and, and a church grows, right? And, and, but here the church doesn't, doesn't ever really expand like that. It's just always, it's just always turning over. And so we, we are required to look at God and I praise God for that and I'm, I'm done. Hebrews 11.6, you, you guys know the great text. Without faith it is impossible to please God. We must believe that He is and we must believe that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. That's the way you're supposed to be living your life and that's the way I'm supposed to be living my life. I just want to remind you, Abraham believed and he acted. And Jehovah Jireh provided. Moses believed and he acted. And Jehovah Jireh provided. Gideon believed and he acted. And Jehovah Jireh showed up. Jehoshaphat believed and he acted. And Jehovah Jireh was faithful. Philip and Andrew and the disciples believed and they acted. And Jehovah Jireh provided. Friends, that's how you're supposed to be living your life. Every single day. Every single day. God is faithful. He is the God of the impossible. And I'll, close, I'll just close with, uh, you know what Jehovah Jireh means. Uh, there's several definitions, but my favorite Hebrew uh, rendering, uh, English rendering of the Hebrew is, God says, I'll see to it. And so every year at this time, I remember that God says, I'll see to it. You look to me, and I'll see to it. But I also want to exhort you to live your life like that as well. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you for this awesome text. Thank you that you remind us. Thank you that you remind us you're the God of the impossible. Always the God of the impossible. Father, forgive us if we've been stuck on the small slide. Forgive us, Lord, if if we're just on that small slide because it's comfortable and we understand it and we can manage it and it's no stretch and there's really no faith required anymore. It's just something we do uh, on autopilot. Father, forgive us if that's what our Christianity has uh, devolved into. Because I know You're calling us to so much more. You're calling us always to go to the big slide. Always go to the place where we have to cry out, Abba, Father! If You don't come, I can't do this. 
That's where Christians are supposed to walk. We understand. We understand by your word that that's where you call us to walk. Whatever our individual problem or dilemma or question is, you're telling us that we are to look to you. And we're to live and we're to walk through it and live through it with huge faith, anticipating a God encounter. Anticipating your faithfulness as you come and you have all your good pleasure in us and through us. Lord God, I lift this church to you. It's yours. Do all your good pleasure in it. I pray that you'll be magnified in this church, this little bitty church. I pray that Jesus will be so honored here that we would in fact be a light on a hill. That lives would be changed here. That, that miracles would happen here in the hearts of people. Lives would be turned upside down. And people would go out of here changed and different because they came face to face with the Word of God. They came face to face with Jehovah Jireh. And their life is never going to be the same. Help us, Lord God, to live like that. To believe like that. To act on it. We pray all this in the beautiful name of our matchless Savior, Jesus. Amen.